Hello and welcome to Historical Hysteria. My name is Nicholas Ward and today we are asking the simple question, is Nazi science still used today? The simple answer to this question is yes. The more complex answer to this question is yes. Previously, I have mentioned one Dr. Sigmund Rascher and the Dachau hypothermia experiments. This was a controversial episode and I had people contact me to say that I was wrong and that no Nazi medical science of any kind has any use today. This is not what I've been taught in the past, in both ethics and philosophy classes, and it sent me down a rabbit hole of research to find out the how, when, and why of Nazi research derived from the Holocaust. Between 1933 and 1945, the Nazi government of Germany engaged in a large-scale, brutal, and unethical series of medical experiments. To begin with, this focused on forced abortions and sterilization of people deemed mentally unfit before moving on to more generic experimentations on Jews, Romani, homosexuals, and political prisoners, and then rapidly to mass murder. Large-scale medical experimentation on humans began in 1941, and the majority of the Holocaust deaths were between 1943 and 1945. The most horrific of these experiments were conducted by Nazi party doctors, and I use the term doctor loosely, especially those in the SS. Given near unlimited access to human subjects, SS doctors began a reign of terror so brutal it has echoed through history as the worst humanity has to offer. Following the war, these doctors were rounded up, interrogated, and executed, although a few dozen were sent to the US and USSR during Operation Paperclip and Osovyakim. Fortunately, most of the SS research was worthless, so the scientists were mostly brought to justice. Many of the SS doctors who conducted these experiments were pseudoscientists who were often derided in conventional medicine prior to the Nazis' rise. The Nazis, however, did not much care for all that book-learning stuff, and because of this, complete quacks quickly rose to the ranks of the SS as medical professionals. Unsurprisingly, many competent doctors were purged for not kowtowing to Nazi beliefs. Now, these doctors and researchers would kill and injure thousands attempting to better understand human health, and the vast majority of research that came out of concentration camps was utterly useless. Conducted on weak, emaciated prisoners, results varied wildly, methods were poorly replicated, results poorly reported, and scientists often resorted to tweaking their data to make themselves look better. Our old pal, Dr. Sigmund Rascher, a Wunderkind of Nazi science who conducted the Dachau hypothermia experiments, was later executed by the Nazis for both fraud and kidnapping. In his freezing experiments and in the hypothermia experiments, Dr. Rascher did not record age, weight, height, or condition of subjects prior to his experiments. Dr. Rascher was an extreme example, but the Holocaust was full of this kind of slapdash scientific process. It's almost like insane megalomaniacs trying to prove wild conspiracies aren't overly concerned with scientific scruples. Now, this is the kind of line where someone might snarkily say, Anyone with a brain didn't support the Nazis. Unfortunately, this was not true. I think more accurately, within a system built on cronyism and conspiracy ideology, those doctors who succeeded would logically have been those willing to tell their bosses whatever they wanted to hear. And if that required tweaking some data, so be it. So today, data from the Holocaust is, along with being unethical, considered largely useless. So is anyone still using it? The answer to that is a resounding yes, because unfortunately not every Nazi was an insane pseudoscience. The Atlas of Topographical and Applied Human Anatomy, often shortened to Pernkopf's Anatomy of Man or Pernkopf's Atlas, is widely considered the most complete book on anatomy ever made. It is highly prized by surgeons and it was a product of the Holocaust. Remaining copies of the book sell for thousands of dollars largely to surgeons. 
Eduard Pernkopf was a prominent Austrian doctor who in 1933 joined the Nazi party and began assembling his atlas. Already a prominent doctor and lecturer, he was working on an atlas of human anatomy, meticulously dissecting corpses layer by layer to learn about the human body. Now, science then, as science now, had always had a problem. The bodies available for study were few and generally limited to the very old and the very sick, and this had stifled Pernkopf's work for a long time. But then, as if by magic, Pernkopf began receiving dozens and dozens of bodies in perfect health of any type he wanted. Between 1933 and 1945, Pernkopf would dissect 800 corpses of young, healthy individuals, allowing Pernkopf access to the most complete subsection of humanity ever given to a doctor. A full half of these corpses are confirmed to have come from homosexuals, political prisoners, Romani, and Jews. Today, it is the only book of its kind. A survey in the UK a few years ago found 13% of nerve surgeons used the book and 69% were comfortable with using it. Pernkopf was as much a fantastic surgeon as he was a reprehensible bastard. Joining the Nazis in 1933, he was instrumental in purging his universities of all voices of opposition, and was more than willing to cooperate with the Reich. He would help expel doctors who voiced opposition and quickly banned Jews from his department. It was people like Pernkopf who were responsible for the rise of pseudoscience within the Third Reich. There were many things the Nazis wanted proved that real science just could not prove. People like Pernkopf who purged opposition made sure that the voice is going, um, what was that about Atlanteans? That seems a bit nuts, were kicked out and held down. In 1945, Pernkopf was arrested and held by the Allies for three years, before being sent free. He would release a third edition of his atlas in 1953, and a fourth was released posthumously in 1960. The books would be pulled from publication in 1994, hence the thousands of dollars second-hand copies bring in. The example of Pernkopf is not exactly unique, but certainly not common in its wealth of usable data. Much of the debate today centres on if we should use Nazi data and if it is reliable. The second question has generally superseded the first, because the data that was real was used, and the data that wasn't, wasn't. Ethical considerations be damned. Hey, the world was a pretty messed up place in the 1940s, and kind of still is. But one example doesn't make a pattern of Nazi medicine in modern medicine, and the people who called me out were quick to point out most Nazi medical science had serious flaws and was not reliable. So was other Nazi medicine integrated into modern medicine? Yes, it was. Research within the concentration camps varied hugely, from anthropology to genetics to wound treatment. One of the most prominent doctors whose research would be integrated into modern medicine was one Dr. Sigmund Rascher. Why does that name sound familiar? Russia was one of the Nazis' most renowned pseudoscientists. He was part of military research and was contracted by the Luftwaffe to study conditions affecting airmen such as altitude and hypothermia, though he spent as, spent as much time randomly torturing prisoners as he did doing actual research. Dr. Rascher would conduct three large experiments. The first were altitude tests, putting prisoners in depressurization, putting prisoners in depressurization tanks and increasing and decreasing pressure. Rascher conducted live dissections during these experiments to try and determine if air bubbles were forming in the blood. His second experiments were the hypothermia tests, where he dunked prisoners in ice baths or locked them naked in the snow to make them hypothermic, then tried to recover them. And the third were experiments with coagulation drugs for the treatment of gunshot wounds, in which he would apply coagulation and then shoot his victims. 
All three experiments had massive flaws, aside from the ethical ones. Russia was a truly bizarre man, and his life was strange even for a senior Nazi. Russia had a close relationship with Heinrich Himmler and became a poster child for Aryan propaganda because of his three children, all were born to his wife after the age of 48. See, Russia had promised to make Aryan children more Aryan children by extending female childbearing age. Except he failed in his experiments, and then him and his wife just started kidnapping random children, which came to light in 1944, which is what led to Russia and his wife being arrested and then executed. Russia was executed at Dachau, the very camp where he conducted many of his most horrific experiments for a variety of crimes, including kidnapping, financial irregularities, medical fraud, and murder. I do find myself wondering what the atmosphere must have been like among the other Nazi pseudoscientists after Russia was executed for medical fraud. Now, following the war, American psychiatrist Leo Alexander travelled Germany investigating medical crimes of the Third Reich, and in 1946 published a 200-page report on the hypothermia research done at Dachau titled The Treatment of Shock from Prolonged Exposure to Cold, Especially in Water, in which he published Russia's hypothermia tables, detailing things like the timing of the experiments and the methods of revival. Initially, Alexander suggested the research had some value for the military, but later reversed his statement on deeper inspection. Despite stepping back from the data, it was too late, and many armed forces around the world quietly adopted into their own experiments on extreme conditions. So how prevalent were Russia's tables within medical science? Well, this has been a surprisingly difficult question to assess, because over the last 80 years, scientists have often found creative ways to use the research without admitting to using the research by hiding citations of Russia's hypothermia tables behind walls of citations, citing papers, citing papers, citing Leo Alexander. Today, at least 120 academic journals and books have cited Leo Alexander's original compilation of Russia's data, and hundreds more have cited those papers which cited that, to the point where it is almost impossible to estimate the real impact they have had. Between 1970 and 1981, Dr. Robert Posos, one of America's foremost experts in hypothermia, conducted hypothermia trials on student volunteers, inducing mild hypothermia. However, in 1988, he announced he would use Rash's tables, for the simple reason that, without endangering the lives of his students, he could not advance his work. The announcement kicked off a firestorm around the topic, and numerous groups debated the ethics of using this data. An ethicist at Dr. Posos University, Dr. Allen, Dr. Al Kaplan organized two ethics panels in 1988 and 2018 to debate the use of this data. What they found was that Nazi research is far more prevalent in modern medicine than is often admitted to. In fact, through the end of the century, it became an open secret in medical circles. In 2018, he wrote, quote, Information gathered at Dachau about human beings' response to hypothermia had been used by many military organizations in many nations, including the United States. Alternatives to immorally sourced information do not always exist, as is the case for information gathered at Dachau from freezing emaciated persons to death." End quote. Since 2017 alone, the Russia tables have been cited directly 16 times, mostly in ethical debates but also by medical journals. And again, this doesn't include the medical texts which still base their research on hypothermia off experiments between 1950 and 1980, which were themselves based off the Rasher tables. So the answer is Nazi medicine still used is still depressingly yes. And the more complex question, should it be used? Well, I don't want to delve into that at the moment, but let's say that the Rasher tables are not overly accurate.
For starters, Russia was a mad scientist, too mad for even Nazi Germany, and that's saying something. Dr. Povos, Dr. Pozos would buck the criticisms and use the Russia tables, only to find that they were pretty much useless. After conducting his studies into the tables, he found there were serious problems, just like Leo Alexander before him. The fact that Russia did not record the age, weight, or condition of the patients meant patients is the wrong word there, of the victims, means they don't really tell you anything. And that's not even dealing with the recovery treatments, like throwing a victim into boiling water. But that does not change the fact that for 80 years, this data has been readily used by the medical community. Not many journals or medical associations will admit this, surprisingly, and many medical journals ban the citing of any Nazi research. Which is partly why publications will cite papers which cite Rash's tables. An example of this is the current US Army textbook for army doctors, which has an entire section dedicated to hypothermia. It references dozens of papers from 1950 to 1990 and take a wild guess as to what this book references multiple times. That's right, obscure papers from the 1970s. Not a single mention of the Rasha tables. Unless you happen to have had too much time on your hands, at which point you might have done something insane like gone and checked out those 1970s citations and found that the data these papers from the 1970s had published cited some other research tables published by one, let me just check here, L. Alexander 1946. That's right, the current US Army medical textbook is still using Rash's debunked tables in its hypothermia sections. The ethics of the use of this research, let's sum it up by saying it's been contentious um, and will remain one, and will remain contentious. At least one rabbinical conference has defended the use of Perncop's atlas, provided the history of it and the victims are taught to the patients benefiting. However, other Jewish groups and ethical committees have taken the opposite approach, that the use of any of this research is tantamount to vindicating the Holocaust. As for hypothermia tables, well, fortunately with modern technology, we finally have the ability to study hypothermia without relying on genocide. In 2020, a paper was published using what were essentially modified crash test dummies to monitor hypothermia treatments, and this dark chapter can finally be put behind us. Well, I mean, except for the research into rockets, germ warfare, anthropology, and studies in genetics, and, 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 and the Bonkopf anatomy of man. Other than those examples, modern medicine's hands are now mostly clean. Of Nazi research, because there's other research that's come out of, of genocidal things. But anyway, that is all we have time for. Thank you for joining me. Check out the socials r slash historical hysteria on Reddit and at Manic History on Twitter. But before I leave, let me leave you with this. Between 1932 and 1972, the US Public Health Service with the University of Tuskegee provided free medical care to 600 black sharecroppers in Mason County where an outbreak of syphilis had occurred. The treatments were placebos. The real experiment was to observe the long-term effects of syphilis. 399 men in the town had syphilis. Over the experiment, 128 died. 40 women were infected, as were 19 children. Yay, science. The Tuskegee experiments have, for good reason, become a hotbed for conspiracy theories and will be the subject of a future episode. But I am off to roll into the fetal position, and I hope... Wherever you are, you have a good day.